This is a koan from the Hegegan Loku, a collection of 100 koans, case 55. Pai Chang's Wild Ducks, the introduction. The whole world does not hide it. His entire capacity stands alone, revealed. He encounters situation without getting stuck. With every move, he has the ability to assert himself. In his phrases, there is no partiality. Everywhere, he has the intention to kill people. But say, in the end, where do the ancients go to rest? To test, I'm citing this old case. Look. The main case. Once, when Great Master Ma and Pai Chang were walking together, they saw some wild ducks fly by. The great master asked, what is that? Pointing at the wild ducks. Pai Chang said, wild ducks. The great master said, where have they gone? Pai Chang said, they've flown away. The great master then twisted Pai Chang's nose. Chang cried out in pain. The great master said, when have they ever flown away? The verse, wild ducks, who knows where they are? Matsu saw them coming and they had words with each other. He told all about the scene of the clouds on the mountains and the moon over the sea. As before, Chang did not understand but said, they've flown away. Pai Chang wanted to fly away, but Matsu held him fast. Speak! Speak. So some of us here are new, maybe first time at the Zen Center, Zen Temple. Maybe first time listening to a, a Teisho Dharma talk. Maybe first time hearing a koan. So a few, few words about koans. Koans are sometimes stories, past old stories. Uh, sometimes they focus on conversation between two teachers, two students, a teacher and a student. Sometimes one line, sometimes a longer story. And the purpose of Quran is to change the way we see everyday reality, to mess, I should say, with the way we see reality. And to open something that's always available, that's always revealed, but seems hidden, seems out of reach. Often, we don't even know that the way we view reality <clears throat> is actually changing it, that we ourselves change it. So koans are like notes from an old friend who left behind a bunch of notes because he or she deeply cares about and knows us far better than we know ourselves. 
a friend who deeply understands the root causes of our most intimate fears, our sense of unease, our inadequacies, our impulsive and harmful tendencies, a friend that can relate to how we feel with a skillful hand that guides and nurtures, yet at the same time snaps us out or has the ability to snap us out of our emotional entanglements. It's a hand that knows how to kill and how to give life in one blow. Shibiyama Roshi, in his commentary about koans, in general, he said the task or role of a koan is to help a student open his Zen eye, to deepen his Zen attainment, and to refine his Zen personality. It is a means in Zen training, but in actual practice, the koan does not lead a student along an easy and smooth shortcut, like other ordinary means. The koan, on the contrary, throws the student into the deep and rugged maze where she has no sense of direction at all. She is expected to overcome all the difficulties and find out, find the way out by herself. Or find out by herself how to get out. In other words, the koan is the most difficult and rough means for the student to go through. And good koan, he says, are those that are most intricate, illogical, and irrational in which the most brilliant intellect will completely lose its way. Hence, looking at it from a different way, different perspective, rather than the way we are used to looking at things. And then he says, suppose here is a completely blind man who drudges along, leaning on his stick and depending on his intuition. The role of a koan is to mercilessly take the stick away from him and to push him down after turning him around. Now the blind man has lost his soul's support and intuition and will not know where to go or how to proceed. He will be thrown into the abyss of despair. In this same, same way, the koan will mercilessly take away all our intellect and knowledge or our reliance on intellect and knowledge. So the, the point here is that <clears throat> koans are there to mess with the way we view reality. And we, of course, we have to be open to mess with the way we view reality. Because if we're not open to that, not only it won't work, <clears throat> excuse me, it will, we will not be even willing to look at it. We won't even be willing to examine or to bring doubt to the way we see things. And Kohans are always using different words to point to the one essential matter, but they do it in a way that points to the way we cause harm and suffering and to our innate potential to disentangle and to lead a life that is of benefit to all. So essentially what the koans are, although they may create a sense of frustration and maybe loss or being lost, the purpose is quite the opposite. The purpose is to create clarity rather than obscurity. And the reason why there is a sense of obscurity when we encounter a koan is because of the way we see it. 
not because of what it is saying, or what is it offering. And in this case, the teacher is the great master Matsu, 8th century Chinese teacher, who is a Dharma grandson to Huineng, the sixth patriarch of Zen. One of the most important teachers in the Zen tradition. And it is said that he strode like an ox and glared like a tiger. And he had a bone-chilling presence that revealed an astonishing freedom. Right? So just that line itself, he had a bone-chilling presence that revealed an astonishing freedom. Presence is freedom. There is no other freedom. There is no other place in which to experience freedom. In one of his talks, Matsu, one of his talks, he said, the phenomenal is identical with the transcendent, and the born is none other than the unborn. If you have a thorough realization of this, you can live your daily life, wear your clothes, eat your meals, nourish your inner womb of holiness, and pass your time as befitting your conditions and the tides of human affairs. And basically what he's saying here is that if you have, if we have a thorough understanding of the eternal, of that which does not arise and vanish, and if we understand that that which arises and vanishes is none other than that which does not arise and vanish, then we can attend to our daily affairs, do what we do, eat what we eat, take care of what we need to take care of without getting entangled, without creating entanglements for ourselves, without entangling others, without creating suffering. To have a thorough realization of this truth actually means to recognize that our fleeting lives, everything, moment by moment, as is, with the haze, the likes, the dislikes, all of it is never a part of the eternal flow. It's never a part of what we are seeking when we show up at the Zen Center. Is never a part of what we may be waiting for or waiting to see when we sit and meditate. It's never a part from this, just as it is. And that means to be verified by the simple aspects of our, ver- our everyday life. It also means that the simple activities of everyday life are essentially nurturing the inner womb of the Buddha as the words in this description. Right? To nurture the inner, and we don't have to use the word Buddha necessarily, but to nurture the inner womb of our true self. That works too. Of who we are. To nurture our understanding, to deepen our understanding. So at the same time, while this is it, this is also a way to nurture our understanding of this and to understand how to live everyday life from there, 
rather than to seek it, to actualize it, rather than to look for something else, to realize and recognize that that something else is already alive and well. So the question is not, where is it? The question is, how does it manifest? How does it manifest through this one here, the one I call me? And we practice, you know, what we call practice. We practice carefully and meticulously because it is about nurturing what we call the sacred fetus. Now, but to nurture it correctly, we also need to not make a big deal out of the fact that we practice. We also need to not practice in order to arrive anywhere else or become something else. To nurture correctly means to pay attention, to care deeply, and to appreciate this, this, but what is this? What is this before I answer the question? Before I look for a way to answer the question? Of course I can answer this question. Everybody can, right? And a bunch of us are here. Everybody's going to have a different description about this. But what is it before the mind moves, before we open up our mouth and start to describe this? What is it then? Which is, what is it now? The same question. And that's the place, when we bring up such questions, that's the place. Actually, it's essential to be at that place for spiritual maturation to happen. Because if we don't doubt this, how can we grow? How can we deepen? I already may say, I'm not it, or this is not it, or this is such and such, and it doesn't match what I think it needs to match. In the introduction, it says, the whole world does not hide it. Which means nothing is hiding it. It's always wide open. His entire capacity stands alone, revealed. He encounters situations without getting stuck. With every move, he has the ability to assert himself. In his phrases, there is no partiality. And he, in this case, of course, is Master Matsu. But this great capacity is inherent in everyone. It doesn't come from anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. It does, however, need to be realized as one's own. And if it's not, it remains Matsu's ability, not ours. Well, how about reading this introduction like this? It is not hidden in you right now. Your entire capacity stands alone, revealed. You have the ability to encounter situations without getting stuck. And the ability to assert yourself fully at any moment. Freely, 
and fully at any given moment, regardless of circumstances and conditions. How does that sound? Can you trust it? Can you move from there? Before we trust, we have to doubt. And so we need to raise the vital question of any spiritual journey. What is this? What is this in regards to everything around us? And what is this in regards to the one who is sitting here? What is it? When we sit in zazen, we sit in meditation, this is how we need to sit. We need to sit looking at the one who is sitting and asking that same question, that very question. What is it? As Dogen said, to take the backward step and illuminate that which is asking the question. We need to question our firm assumptions about everything and examine what most people take for granted. And this koan, this one brings an exchange between Master Matsu and his disciple Pai Chang, who later became a great Zen master, but at that time was not yet awakened. And the two of them went on a walk. While they were walk, walking, a flock of wild ducks flew by. And Matsu pointed at the wild ducks and asked, what is it? What is that? Of course, ordinarily, this is not a question that passes through people's minds. A bus passes by and your friend is walking next to you asking, what is it? You're going to look at this first. Are you okay? What do you mean, what is this? It's a bus. Can't you see what's wrong with you, right? And those are the questions we have to raise. Not new questions, not special questions, just questions about the ordinary, the everyday manifestation, appearance. Look at your toothbrush in the morning. What is this? Look at the cup of coffee. What is it? You know, if we want to experience the extraordinary within the ordinary, we must mess with the rigid way we see the ordinary and raise doubt about what most take for granted, what we take for granted. Now, what happens when we see something and automatically, automatically, oh, I know what that is. Of course, it's a bus. Of course, it's a bird. It's a tree. What happens? In a way, you know, a bunch of you here are new and you have an advantage. Some of us have been here for a while, practicing for a while. And sometimes that is to our detriment because we think we know. We think we know what we may think we know what we're doing. 
And when we think we know, we go to sleep. I know. I don't have to pay attention. I don't have to look deeply, because I know what that is. Do we? So as beginners, first time here, it's all new. It really all is new. So you look around, you listen, you pay attention, you smell, whether it's the incense or whatever is going on, and you look around to you know, the many things that are in this temple, beautiful things, whether it's statues, scrolls, people, the floor, the cushions. There's a lot going on. And that is actually changing moment by moment, second by second. As we are changing second by second. But that's not at all how we view reality, and it's not at all how we view ourselves. We have very rigid, fixed way of seeing ourselves, and therefore very rigid and fixed way we see reality and each other. It's very dangerous to not allow each other to be fresh and to be new. To not allow reality to be fresh and new. All appearances. I don't know what that is. If I don't know what that is, that is incredible because that opens me up to experience something new. So the more we live, especially if you, we keep to the same routines, the more we die. Because the more we live, the more experiences we accumulate, the more we think we may know. And the point and the purpose of practice is to mess with that. It's saying, oh, it's, it's just raising the... Maybe you don't know. Maybe we don't. Maybe we could put aside what we know for a little while. So as beginners, you come here and you experience that and you have, well, you have thoughts, emotions, whatever comes up in relation to this, which is fine and natural. But is it possible to put all this aside and to allow the experience to penetrate you and to allow you to penetrate the experience and then to examine, to see what happens, to be curious about this Interaction with something new. And then to do that again and again and again and again and again and again. So whatever thoughts float in our minds right now, I like it, I don't like it, I'll come back, maybe I won't come back, put those aside and just keep showing up. See what happens. Keep showing up here, keep showing up to work, keep showing up to home, keep showing up to washing dishes, keep showing up to doing the laundry. Whatever it is, show up with that question in mind. What is this? I don't know. I don't know. So then another question arises. How do I experience this? That's a wide open question. 
I don't know. Let me see. But what I experienced yesterday with doing the laundry, well, that was yesterday. I don't know about today. Brand new. New laundry. New dishes to take care of. New bills to pay. All brand new. So Matthew ask, what is this? And all he did is just, he raised the question using what was available at that moment. And he used it with the attempt to help his disciple to awaken. It's the only important thing at that moment with this exchange. Point to it. What is it? Just raise the question. That's all. As the introduction says, he has the ability or the intention to kill people. And the only way to give life to somebody is to kill the extra. Zen sounds very harsh at times. But it's actually very loving and kind and helpful. So again, instead of going to the connotation of the word kill, we have to open up to another way of using it. And it's the same with all experiences in terms of practice. So Matsu asks, what is this? And Pai Chang says, wild ducks. And Hakuin commented on this saying, the straightforward mind is the site of enlightenment. The straightforward mind is the site of enlightenment. Is he praising Pai Chen? Is he saying Pai Chen got it? Is he saying we have it when we say, well, I know this is a bus going by? Is it about saying this is not a bus going by? Those are not wild ducks flying by? Both, either the yes or the no, are not the straightforward mind. Either denying or going with. Now when we bypass the mind-created image of a duck, of a bus, of a person, and go directly to it, we realize that it is not a bus. Only then it can truly be a bus or a duck which migrate in the winter and comes back to lay eggs in the summer. Only by seeing what it's not or by seeing that what I think it is is not what it is, it can be that which we assign to it. Of course, something changes at that point. It's no longer limited to being a duck. It's the limitation that moves away. And then what's revealed is freedom. What's revealed is the straightforward mind. 
that naturally does not distort the way we use it creates distortions and this is what we work with in practice to learn to use this whatever that is to learn to use it the way it was intended to be used this body those legs, this mouth, those hands. Well, there was nothing wrong with Pai Chang stating that these are wild ducks. But Matsu wanted to see how does he understand the true state of wild ducks. So he asked, where have they gone? Fine, wild ducks. Okay, where are they now? And Pai Chang said, they've flown away. And that revealed his state of understanding, or lack thereof. They've flown away. In Hakuin Song of Zazen, it says, In going and coming, never leave home. In going and coming, never leave home. Now the wild ducks know how to come and go without leaving home. If I can see the wild ducks in the way they are flying, in the same way they are, from my being as it is, then I can also see never living, never arriving. But if we see that from our own limited perspective, then they arrive, they stick around, and they leave as are we. So Matsu twisted his nose and Pai Chan cried out in pain. And the great master said, when have they ever flown away? And the footnote under this statement says, the nostrils the nostrils born of his parents are in the hands of someone else. Now, who is that other? Who is Pai Chang serving at that time? Who are we serving? What are we serving? When we view reality in such a limited way. Hakuin commented on this on Pai Chang's answer, saying, whoops, damn, got away. Got away. What a shame. What a shame. You know, in everyday lives, we miss so many opportunities to awaken. So many. All the time. It's all there. If we look, if we listen, if we put aside our assumptions, our connotations, if we go directly to what's going on. As I said many, many times before, the price is high because you have to pay with yourself. You want to see reality as it is? The admission price is you. 
Are you willing to pay it? In the commentary it says, when teachers of our school help people, they must make them penetrate through. You see that Pai Chang didn't understand that he did not avoid cutting his hand on the point. Matsu just wanted to make, his under to make him understand this matter. Thus it is said, when you understand, you can make use of it whenever, wherever you are. If you don't understand, then the conventional truth prevails. If Matsu had not twisted Pai Chang's nose at that time, the conventional truth would have prevailed. And this is, in a way, it sums it up. If we don't understand, the conventional truth prevails. What is the conventional truth? What is the fundamental truth? Things appear. They have a shape. We assign them names. We give them definitions. We give each other names. What does that mean? Why do we need it? To function. To be. To do what we have to do. To go to work. To come back. To have children. To have friends. To have families. To pay the bills. To do what we do on a regular daily basis. So yes, there is such a thing and it is true. Provisionally it is true. Fundamentally it is non-existent. And what happens is that we, we reside within the conventional. And if that's all we see, then the conventional truth prevails. And things do come and go. And we end up living in agony because they come and go. Because moment by moment our lives are fleeting. And because it's the only truth that we may be in touch with, it becomes a problem. We don't want to perish. We don't want our lives to be fleeting. We don't want things to come and go. We want them to come and stay. But it's just not the way it is. It's not an opinion. It's just not the way it is. Yet, that's what's happening. So how can we function within this from being rooted in the fundamental? That's the question of practice. Or that's the question practice answers. It also says it, it is also necessary when encountering circumstances and meeting conditions to turn them around and return them to oneself. That's when we merge. To have no gaps at any time is called the ground of nature bright and clear. So to go directly to the experience is to cut the middleman, right? To put aside the commentator, the narrator, 
always has something to say, right? About everything. To cut the middleman, to go directly to what we call wild ducks. And when we go directly to wild ducks, you are a duck. Never leaving, never arriving. Yeah, it does not make sense. Logic is limited, in case you haven't noticed. Logic is useful, yet limited. So look at this exchange again. Matsu asks, what is this? Pai Chang says, wild ducks. Matsu said, where, asked, where have they gone? Pai Chang said, they've flown away. Right, so look at this conventionally, logically. We see this as one, two, three, four. And it makes sense to see it this way. So we're trying, we're trying to follow an exchange between two people. Right, and this is what we call the conventional truth. This is how we see things. This is how we discriminate. This is how we cause home, home without questioning. And then comes Matsu, and with one forceful twist of the nose, he takes away the gaps and cuts all of it to one. That was an immediate response of Pai Chang crying out in pain. And at that moment, there was no one, two, three, four. It was just one thing. Painful, one thing. You know, it's easy to cut one to two to three to a thousand. But how do we cut the thousands to the one? How do we cut the multiplicity to a singularity? How do we see that all things are skewered by the same essential matter? You know, I teach Aikido too, some of you know, and we have a wooden sword practice, right? Just a wooden sword. And we, we do cuts with it. Could be many cuts, multiple cuts. And we see that as, okay, I'm going to cut 20 times. One, two, three, four, five, six. And it's not one, two, three, four, five, six. It's one, 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 one. It's just one. And it cuts when it's done this way, it cuts the before and it cuts the after because it unites the before with the after. Because it brings it all to one thing and it actually reveals it all as one thing. The commentary says that Pai Chang cried out in pain if you see this, it says, if you see this as such, then the whole world does not hide it. And it is perfectly manifest everywhere. Tenke Denson, 18th century Japanese teacher of Soto school, said, 
After all, there is nothing outside of knowing that what is painful hurts and knowing that what itches, itches. There is nothing outside this, just as it is. What a relief, isn't it? What a relief to know that you never ever has, have to go anywhere All you have to do, all we have to do is stick around, open our eyes wide, and look at this, and merge with this. How incredible that is. Wild ducks, point of entry, and the pain, point of entry. You see one, you see it all. As in the saying, penetrate one place and you penetrate a thousand places, ten thousand places, all at once. You want to see? All of it. Look at this. And for Pai Chang, the story did not end there. <clears throat> when Master Ma Matsu went to the hall the next day to, to give a talk, as soon as the congregation has assembled, Pai Chang came forward and rolled up the bowing mat. This is what you see here in the center is the bowing mat. Matsu saw that, immediately left his seat. After he'd returned to the abbot's quarter, he asked Pai Chang, I had just gone up to the hall and not yet started to talk. Why did you roll up the bowing mat? And Pai Chang said, Yesterday I had my nose twisted by you, teacher, and it hurts. Matsu said, where were you keeping your mind yesterday? And Pai Chang said, well, today the nose no longer hurts. Matsu looked at him and said, you have profound knowledge of today's affair. The nose no longer hurts. Wow, you have pr profound knowledge of today's affair. That's Zen. That's all the practice is asking us to do. Bring it right back to this. And you have profound knowledge of today's affair. Pai Chang then bowed and returned to the attendants' quarters, crying. Didn't get it yet. But one of his fellow attendants asked, Why are you crying? And Pai Chang said, Go ask the master. The attendant said, okay. He went to Matsu, asked Matsu. Matsu said, no, no, go ask Pai Chang. So he went back to Pai Chang. Went back to Pai Chang, asked a question. Pai Chang looked at him, started to laugh loudly. The attendant said, you were just crying a minute ago. Now you're laughing. What's going on with you? Chang said, yeah, I was crying before and now I'm laughing. All of it revealed right there. Before I was crying, now I'm laughing. Before I was eating, now I'm sitting. That's it. It's definitely not what we want to hear. So look at that. Look at the rejection, the, the built-in, innate, deep, 
rejection that we bring with us to this. And examine that. Why am I rejecting this? Why this is not it? Because I know what that is, right? Do I? No, our lives are made up of many experiences. Each experience offers an equal opportunity to embrace the totality of life. And that means to fully embrace the experience of the moment or whatever the moment is offering without getting trapped by the incessant judgments and comparisons that are produced by our minds impulsively. Pai Chang said, yesterday I was in pain, but today the nose no longer hurts. And Matsu said, you have profound knowledge of today's affair. When we lose ourselves to the experience we're having, the experience will gladly kill us and instantly revive us to life as it is. As Dongshan said, when heat comes, let it be so hot that it kills you. When cold comes, let it be so cold that it kills you. When you have profound knowledge of today's affair, you have profound knowledge of life. The commentary says, These days, some say, where there is fundamentally no enlightenment, they construct the gate of enlightenment and establish this affair. If you view it in this way, you are like a flea on a lion's body feeding itself on the lion's flesh. Haven't you seen where an ancient said, If the source is not deep, the stream is not long. If the wisdom is not great, the vision is not far-reaching. If you entertain the understanding that enlightenment is a construct, how could the Buddhist teachings have come down to this present moment? Well, if we create something out of it, if we create an image, and whether it's an image of a wild duck or an image of realization, it doesn't really matter. It's just an image. It's just a construct. And, it, and it's that, it's at that level of the mind-creating constructs, or the way we create, create constructs, that's the level of practice. This is what we have to look at. That's what we have to examine, what we ourselves create, rather than look for something else or hope to arrive somewhere else. We have to turn it around, look directly at the one who is creating. Why am I doing it? And what am I doing this? Right? Why am I doing it? What am I rejecting when I am engaged, busy, concocting, creating an image of this or the way I want this to be? It's probably more common. How often does this work? How often do we actually embrace this and appreciate it? without stipulations, right? Without any judgment and stipulations.
the last two lines of the verses, as before Chang did not understand, but said they've flown away. And Pai Chang wanted to fly away, but Matsu held him fast. And the footnote to that says, with grandmotherly kindness, what else did he say? And the last line says, speak, speak. Right? And this is really encouraging you, us, all of us, to rely on our own abilities, to not borrow, to not walk on somebody else's or with somebody else's legs. Right? To not bring any judgments, to not bring any tweaking or changing or coloring. To live this alone. Right? To see it as it is. And then to have profound knowledge of today's affairs.